things coming on the earth. This is the theme that we are exercising at this time in our study of Revelation. Things coming on the earth, the book of Revelation, and then Revelations 19, Armageddon is what our subject is today. In order to bring, connect last week's lesson in with today's lesson here, I'm going to take just a moment here and refer to number one here. Revelations 18, and this was the destruction of Rome. We talked about Revelation 17. So what I'm going to have you do with me, if you would, is to turn to uh, Revelations chapter uh, 17, verse 7, just to connect the dots here so that we don't lose anybody uh, here from my thought from last week and the finishing up of our lesson last week and moving into our lesson this week. Look at 17, 7. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman. We had said it about the harlot, the great harlot, the mystery Babylon, as it's referred to in, chapter, in verse 5 of 17. And it says the mystery woman and of the beast. There's two things here, the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her. And then it goes into verse uh, 8 and says, The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottom of the spit. And then further down in that latter part of the eighth verse, I'm, this is not on your screen now, but this is in the Bible here. On the latter part of 17.8, it says, uh, when he beheld the beast that was and is not and yet is. That's sort of hard to understand, except to understand this, that it's referring to the Roman Empire. The beast was the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, you know, was very strong in the day that the book of Revelation was written. And what it's implying is that the empire never really fully died and doesn't until Armageddon. Now, this is brought out in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, extensively. And I don't, I won't take time to go in that now. But only to say that uh, the Lord wants us to understand that the Roman Empire does continue to exist. It existed militarily in those days and was defeated finally militarily in 476 A.D. That's common history. But it continued on as the Holy Roman Empire, the Holy Roman Empire. And under, under other kings and other leaders, it was referred to Charlemagne for one, who was the uh, king, the emperor of, the emperor of uh, Germany and France and all through Europe way back there. And it was referred to by the Pope that he was the head of the Holy Roman Empire. So the Holy Roman Empire became the name of uh, this united Europe. And it changed hands from time to time from one king to another and so forth. I won't go into detail only to say that the Bible explains all of that. It says that it is Rome because it talks about it having seven heads and Seven and the seven mountains on which the woman sat. And last week we showed you the seven mountains of Rome, gave you the names of them. Also, the seven governments by which Rome was ruled over throughout history. We talked about that. I won't go any further into it. And finally, it comes down and it talks about it until we get down to verse 18, the last verse in verse 17. And it says, And the woman which thou sawest. Now, we talked about the beast being the Roman Empire. The woman, excuse me, <coughs> which thou sawest is that great city. This deals specifically with the city of Rome. Is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. And, of course, Rome was the, 
a great city in those days. It ruled and reigned over all the then known Roman, Roman Empire and has continued to exist. And it still rules in a religious sense to this day over many uh, nations, peoples, religions, you know, so forth. You know, you well know that. Uh, many countries, South America is very much given to Catholicism and Rome is their center of their beliefs and so forth. So it talks about the great city about which it's from. Rome is also called the eternal city, eternal city. Rome existed before Paris, Berlin, uh, before, uh, before uh, England, you know, uh, all of these countries throughout Europe, Belgium, all these countries with their great capitals, it all existed before that. It was from Rome that these cities were all established. So Rome goes way back. Now, look at chapter 18 for a moment. It says here that last verse, the woman is that great city which reigned through the king's earth. Now, verse 18, uh, chapter 18, verse 1. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having a great power, and the earth was lighted with his glory <coughs> excuse me <coughs> and he cried mightily with a strong voice saying babylon the great is fallen is fallen it has become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul beast and the cage of every unclean hateful bird so this is a description of what would happen then with rome now go to verse 8 i'm going through this very quickly because i want to get into verse chapter 19 look at verse 8 this is 18.8. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine. She shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. God will judge her. Verse 9. The kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her, lament for her, when they shall see the smoke of her burning, standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city, Babylon. Notice here that Rome is referred to as Babylon. It is the modern-day Babylon in the sense that that's where polytheism comes out of or paganism, worship of many gods. Uh, Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. And then I'm moving on down to verse 17. I'm going very quickly here through 18. Down to verse 17. In one hour so great riches has come to naught, and every shipmaster and all the companies and ships and sailors and many as trade therein stood afar off. Verse 19, and they cast dust on their heads and cried weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein was made rich all that had ships in the sea, and by reason of her costlessness, uh, for in one hour is she made desolate. Notice here that God judges it instantly and it's just done. And uh, down in verse 21, a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea saying, Thus with the violence, with violence shall that great city of Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. This is speaking of Rome now. It's not speaking of the old ancient Babylon, but the modern day Babylon, which is Rome. Now, verse 23, and I'm going to wrap verse 18 up with this, 23 24. And the light of a candle shall shine no more in all in thee. That's speaking of Rome. And the voice of the bridegroom out of the bride shall be heard no more in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth. For by thy sorcerers were all nations deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets 
and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. Notice that. So this is talking about how God says now it's time to judge. And so what we have done, we have come to the end of that period of time in which God is going to wrap everything up. Now, I'm going to show you this chart that I show you often here. And uh, this is what we look at as a timeline chart or the book of Revelation chart. And uh, we've been studying the book of Revelation. It starts over here with around the fourth, fifth, and sixth chapters here of Revelation. We've gone all the way through. And we have come down now to this point right here where all of these seals, seven last seven seals have been opened. And finally, the uh, it says here, the harlot church is judged, Rome is destroyed. And now we're getting ready for this last event, Armageddon. This is a... Uh, the latter part of this chart. In other words, this part right in here, this oval section, this is that part of it where you can see it a little better here. And uh, this is the harlot church destroyed, and that's what we have just talked about. This is the last three of three and a half years of what's called Daniel's 70th week. It goes back to the book of Daniel. And then this is Armageddon. Now, Armageddon is the latter part, and then there are some events that will come forth from that. Uh, this is a timeline of the Old Testament. And uh, if you'll see here, this is the Old Testament here up to Calvary, the New Testament up to the rapture, the tribulation period right in here. And then Armageddon will happen right here. And this is where we are talking about in our lesson. This is chapter 19. Now, Armageddon is spoken of probably as much as anything else in the Bible because it's when God says, it's enough, I'm going to judge the world and all of his sin, and I'm going to bring in everlasting righteousness on the earth. This is when God comes back in great splendor. Now, go to chapter 19 with us, 19. Everybody with us? Now, the first thing that happens here, I'm going to go back to this part of the scriptures here. You've seen the maps, I'm sorry. What did I do? Oh, what did I do? What did I do? What did I do? I don't know. Is it going to come on? Uh, just my sleeve can touch that thing and it's, it goes on the blink. Something over here where I, I did like this. All right. Anyhow, that's your lesson. You got it in your hands. It'll come on in a minute, I think. And uh, there it is. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Matt. That's the lesson that we're looking at. Now, everybody with me on chapter 19? All right. After these things, that's the destruction of the of, of Rome. After these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying hallelujah or alleluia. Alleluia is the word for hallelujah. In the old English, they did not always pronounce the H's, so they left the H out in the uh, writing in the scriptures here, the King James Version. It says, <coughs> hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God, for true and righteousness are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore, which, was, which is Rome, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. Uh, 
And again, they said, Alleluia. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. That's, the, that's speaking of Rome now. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. And then in verse 5, and a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye servants and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude. And as the voice of many waters and as a voice of a mighty thundering saying, Alleluia. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Now let me give you a little uh, information here for what it's worth to you. This is the only place in the Bible where the word hallelujah is. Did you know that? No place else in the Bible do you find the word hallelujah. The word hallelujah means hallelujah. Because as you well know that. This is the only place you find it's found four times. And it's found when the people praise God extensively. Every element of heaven praises the Lord when he has brought judgment finally to polytheism, which is the worship of many gods. Folks, that's all an insult to God. All of that's an insult to God, worshiping other gods. I think we have to be careful at Christmas time that we don't get into this honoring everything to do with Christmas. Santa Claus, you know, Santa Claus, is, it means St. Claus. What it means, Santa means St. Claus. Came out of the Dutch, uh, among the Dutch people. They had a saint. They worshiped that saint. They called him Santa Claus. And the Christmas tree came out of Germany. It didn't come, none of this came out of Bethlehem. You understand what I'm saying? And, and, and that's what you see everywhere. The Christmas tree, Santa Claus, everywhere. That's everything Christmas. You see it on TV. You see it in the stores, everything. The manger, the manger and Jesus Christ born. That's like, what is that? How is that even involved in Christmas? And so all of this stuff is all part of this part of this paganism they went to be careful everything's about jesus as far as we are concerned now let me get talk to you about the word hallelujah here for a moment thank you thank you for clapping whoever that is that's true uh let me talk to you about the word hallelujah here for a moment the word hallelujah comes from the hebrew word uh halal h-a-w-l-a-l halal it's a hebrew word and the word halal is where the word hallelujah comes Hallelujah, the end of it has to do with the name of God is sort of a short abbreviation, which is a like a prefix or a surfix of an of a word or a name where they put the name God in there. Uh, and I won't go any further than that. It's in the English version of it, Jah. And anyhow, Halal is the word that this word is out of. And here's what Halal means. Now, listen to me closely. Don't ever forget what I'm going to tell you here. The word halal means, and this comes from Strong's Concordance in detail, be clear in sound. It means to shine. It means to make a show. I'm talking about hallelujah now. It means to be clamorous, clamorously foolish. I'm quoting exact words from Strong's Concordance. It means to rave. It means to praise. This is what the word halal means. It was sometimes used in ancient times to describe a young bridegroom when he first sees his bride on wedding day and they are to be married and he gets all excited and he just acts crazy because he's so in love with her. And this is what the word hallelujah means. And when we say, let's everybody say hallelujah, don't say hallelujah. 
That's not the way you say hallelujah. Say, say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh-uh, that's not the way it was intended to be said. Hallelujah! That's the way it was intended to be said. Praise the Lord! You get excited. You shout it out. I'm going to read this again. Be a clear sound to shine, to make a show, to be clamorously foolish, to rave, to praise. And let me just say this. Praise the Lord. When we praise the Lord, that's what we do. And we say, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. You know, that's what it means. And these denominal churches that think that we ought to be quiet and hush, hush. And the baby whimpers and cries. They say, shh. We got to be quiet in the house of the Lord. That's not what the Lord says. Because the word hallelujah says the very basic of the meaning of the word is just to be foolishly loud, clamorous, saying praise the Lord and not care what anybody says. People go to ball games. They cheer a team out there. A a little old football that's being moved up and down the field. And they'll cheer the team and cheer them and yell and stand up and shout and jump around. Then they go to church and go, shh. You can't worship the Lord, but you can worship a ball club. Well, this, I'm, I'm just being Bishop Myers here this, this morning. Amen. But I'm just saying here, folks, praise the Lord. When we worship, don't be shy about worshiping. Sometimes you come to church and you don't feel like worshiping. You've, been, you've had a hard day or you've had a hard week and you just come to the house of God. But do it anyhow. Just say, God, I'm going to just... I'm going to spite the devil and I'm going to say, praise the Lord. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know if I'm going to get fired tomorrow as they said I might be. I don't know whether I'm going to get a bad medical report. I don't know. But today I'm going to worship you and I'm going to praise you and praise the Lord. When somebody says, let's all say praise the Lord. Let's all let's all say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Because that's the way God intended it to be. Well, let me move on. Hallelujah. So they were worshiping the God after the, uh, after the, the harlot church was destroyed. I want to move on into another subject. Look at verse 7. This is Revelation 19, 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. We're talking now about the, uh, the, the marriage of the bridegroom. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Saints. And verse 9, and he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And if we were to take time, I'm not going to have us turn there because I don't take the time to do it. I think you're aware of it. But in your notes there, we point that out, that in Mark, uh, Matthew 22, 1 through 14, and in Matthew 25, 1 through 12, it talks about the marriage supper. Uh, the one in, Ma- in Matthew 22, it is also in Luke as well, but I'll just read it back. In Matthew 22, 1 to 14, it talks about a king making a feast and a marriage supper for his son and calls everybody unto it. And then in Matthew, it talks about the bridegroom coming. Behold, the bridegroom coming. There were ten virgins. Five were wise, five were foolish. And the five foolish did not have oil in their lamps. 
The five wives had oil in their lamps. When the bridegroom came, they went. Praise the Lord. Can I just say this? One of these days, the Lord's coming back for his church. And you want to have oil in your lamp. What's the oil, Brother Myers? It's the Holy Ghost in you. You want to have the Holy Ghost in you. You don't want to wait to say, oh, I don't have the Holy Ghost. No, no, you can get the Holy Ghost so that today is the day of salvation. Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall, be, ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit, same thing. Holy Spirit. And the evidence of, is of it and was in the Bible, and that's how we know it, what it is today, is that you speak in other tongues. Praise the Lord. Which is God's way of saying that this gospel is unto everybody and all worldwide ever since the church age was established. Well, I won't go any further into that, only to say that the Bible here mentions that it's time now for the marriage supper of the Lamb to happen and take place. Now, I'm moving down in verse 11 here in Revelations uh, 19. This is where Armageddon actually happens, folks. Now, it is described in multiple verses, multiple verses. I'm going to have uh, that second set of uh, brochures handout. Ushers, if you'll pass these out, this is what I'm going to have, have you look at right now. I'm not going to refer to it, only to hand it to you, and I want you to keep this. This is not part of our, this is, everything we've talked about in our lesson here is on this page. And this is what it is called, this is what you're being given now. Five characteristics of Armageddon, of Armageddon. And this is what we're going to be looking at here in verse 11. Verse 11 is where it actually happens. Verse 11 down through the 20th verse. The rest of 19 is where Armageddon actually happens. These other verses that are mentioned here in these scriptures is a prophecy that it will happen one day. That is coming. And the very char- the different characteristics of Armageddon. And if when you get your paper, you'll notice here that I've got these listed out here. All nations will be gathered against Jerusalem. Here's a bunch of verses here to you. Very interesting. Number two, God slash Jesus, the same, will come with his, with his saints. I'm going to read that in a few moments to you. Here's verses that describes that. Uh, number three, God will fight for Israel. Here's all the verses. Zechariah, Zechariah, Psalms, Ezekiel, Ezekiel, Revelation, Isaiah. They're all in there. Verse number four, there will be a great earthquake. The earthquake, Joel mentions it twice. Haggai mentions it. Zechariah mentions it. Ezekiel mentions it. There will be a great earthquake. In fact, a great earthquake is mentioned just before this one in, the, in a previous chapter here. The, the book of Revelation about a great earthquake that never was like that on the face of the earth before that. Then finally, number five, the bird feast in which the God will call him. That's what we're going to be looking at here in a few moments. But God will call for the birds. It's found in Revelation and Ezekiel. It's also found in Matthew and 24 and so forth. But the, you keep that for your reference. But this is all about Armageddon. And this is when God will judge the world. And the reason that it's spoken of in symbolic terms here is to identify it with those scriptures in the Old Testament that have spoken of it in those symbolic fashions. Like a sword in his mouth or a rod of iron. Or these terms that he uses uh, and so forth. Let me read this. I've got a lot to tell you here about. 
You've got your papers. Everybody got yours. Now, we're not referring to that one. We're referring to your Bible. We'll go back here now. Just keep that one handy because I may refer to it on verse or two a little later on. Praise the Lord. That's just giving you a lot of verses for Armageddon. I'm going back here to where we are here, and this is at uh, Revelations uh, A here. Number three, Revelations 19. Armageddon takes place, Revelations uh, 1911. Okay, everybody there with me? All right. And I saw the heavens open, and behold, a white horse. Notice that. A white horse and he that sat on was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was, he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. This is the sacrifice Jesus paid on Calvary, shedding of his blood that we might be saved. And his name is called the Word of God. In John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then down in verse 14 of John 1, it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The Word of God was made flesh. Praise the Lord. The Word was made flesh because the Spirit was not made flesh. The Spirit could not be made flesh. The Spirit of God is not flesh. But it was the word that was made flesh. I won't get into all that, but that's. But we're talking here about Jesus' appearance here at Armageddon. And he will come in this fashion. Uh, look Look at verse 14. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, just like he had a white horse. I'll talk about that in a moment. Clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And we just read about that. Look down. Look back in nineteen in in nineteen eight eight. I'm sorry, chapter nineteen, verse eight. All right. Look at chapter nineteen, verse eight. And to her, that's talking about the wife or the bride of the Lamb. To her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. So when you read these verses of scriptures here, in this fourteenth verse. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Speaking of the church. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And they sh- he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. This is describing in verse 16. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. Look in uh, Revelation 17, 14. If you just show that on 17, 14. Uh, I think is the right verse. I sh- I'm sort of shooting from the hip here. Revelation 17, 14. 17, yeah, here we are. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And they that are with him are called chosen and faithful. I'm just showing, pointing out to you here that here's another verse of scripture that states that he is king of kings and lord of lords. Praise the Lord. Now, what I'm showing you here is that when Jesus comes, he shows him coming on a white horse. Why does it say white horse? Is, is that really a horse he's going to ride on? These are all symbolic terms for us of the Lord coming in his mighty presence with his church. Uh, 
You know what he rode on when the first time he came? A donkey. A donkey that had a coat riding beside it. And Jesus sat on the donkey with his feet over the coat. And the dope coat hanging with his mother. What a pathetic sight for a king to enter in royally into Jerusalem. They put down palm leaves and they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna. And he was riding on a donkey. And those Pharisees and Sadducees said, no, 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 this is not the king we're looking for. We want a king that comes, you know, riding on a white stallion. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's really the champ. You know, Alexander the Great had a black horse. And when his army could look way up on the hill and see him on that black horse, and he'd ride up on that black horse, they all loved him. Napoleon had a white horse. He'd ride that white horse. He'd sit up on the, stand up on the hill. His armies would see it. This is all in history, folks. This is true. Everything. Jesus rode in on a donkey. One of our brothers in Louisiana, uh, he's passed away now, but here several years ago, he wrote a song. It'll be different the next time. You just wait and see. You've got a lot of lonely people, and one of them is me. That's the way the song goes. But you'll be different the next time. You just wait and see. And what it means is that the first time he rode into Jerusalem, he rode on that donkey. But the next time he will ride, praise the Lord, as a conqueror, as a conqueror. And I'm just telling you, folks, and I feel the Holy Ghost all over me now. I'm just telling you that Jesus came the first time humbly and he came as a servant and he came as a carpenter's son, born in a manger. This is what we celebrate Christmas is really all about. Uh, born in, in a stable and laid in a manger. He was, he was uh, a very humble person, poor family. Uh, Nazareth, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? That's what they used to say. You know, this is Jesus. He's from Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Because Nazareth was a little poor town up in the mountains there in northern Israel. And that's where they lived. And so they said, everybody said, you know, he can't be anything great because that's just not the way. And here he comes riding into Jerusalem now on a donkey. That's our king. So they rejected him. As you well know, they put him before trial. They tried him and then they executed him. As you well know, I'm talking about Israel as a nation now. But it'll be different the next time. Next time he comes with great grandeur and, and glory. Now, the rapture will happen at the beginning of the tribulation period because the Lord comes into the heavens. The Lord appears in the sky. The dead in Christ shall rise first and meet him in the air. And then we which are alive and remain shall rise to meet him in the air. And so, so in the air shall we ever be with the Lord. He doesn't come back to the earth then. He's in the air. And all of a sudden people would disappear. We'll ride, we'll have a glorified body like as his glorified body. And we'll be with Jesus throughout the tribulation period. We will be above all the troubles and calamities and everything that will happen on this earth. That's why I'm saying you want to be ready to go when Jesus comes. They said, we are not appointed unto wrath. This is 1 Thessalonians 5.23. We're not appointed unto wrath. Uh, the Bible says in the last verse in chapter six of Revelation, the wrath of God has come. We're not appointed unto that. And we're above that. But at Armageddon, we will come with him. He will come with 10,000s of his saints. Praise the Lord. And so it talks about him coming 
uh, with this army that's with him. Uh, while you've got your Bible there, look back in Jude. Jude is the, the, the book that is just before Revelation, just before Revelation, and it's only got one chapter in verse 14. And he refers to here, Jude writing, refers to Enoch, the seventh from Adam. And Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these sayings. Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. This is speaking here of Armageddon. He will come with ten thousands of his saints. Now, it talks about us riding white horses. That's all symbolic of God and his glory and his power and his might, his coming. And the reason is because all the armies of the world under the leadership of the Antichrist who has been in, in control of everything up until this point. They all come against Jerusalem. They all come against all the Jews because the Jews are turning back to God. They believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah now and they have become God's people through that latter part of that tribulation period. And the Antichrist says, okay, it's time to give. This is where all the armies of the world. Now, on that handout that I gave you where it says the five characteristics of, of Armageddon, if you'll note all the nations will gather or will be, will be gathered together against Jerusalem. This is, uh, this is mentioned here in at least five verses here. Uh, go to Zechariah 12 just for a moment. I just take a, a, a moment here to refer to that. Zechariah 12. I think I've got it here. Let's see here. Yeah. Look at Zechariah 12 for just a moment. 12.2. Zechariah 12.2. And I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about when they shall be in the, when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people and all burdens and, and all burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces. Though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it, all the people of the earth. Now jump into verse 9 in that same 12th chapter of Zechariah. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. This is in Zechariah chapter 12. If we jump over to Zechariah 14, 2, verse 2. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. That's what it says. Verse 3, then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And as it goes on to say, his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley. This is when the Lord finally comes and he touches down. Now, all of these scriptures, if we had time, we could go through and read many verses that speaks about the Lord coming back at Armageddon, but all the nations will be gathered against him. This is brought about extensively in the book of Ezekiel, chapter, two chapters, chapters 38 and 39. It talks about all the armies of the world, gives their names, talks about all these European, these European nations will all come down out of the north and they will come against him, led by the Antichrist. Nations of the east, China, I won't, be, I won't start naming countries here, that's so I won't, I'll stop right there. All these countries of the east will come from the east and they will come against Jerusalem. All of them to completely destroy and annihilate the Jews once and forever. What Nazism tried to do in World War II 
in just Eastern Europe, what they try to do in Eastern Europe, uh, or in Europe, I should say, in Europe during World War II, what they try to do in just that part of the world, now the Antichrist will try to do in all the world. It'd be an anti-Jewish because the Jews at that time will have turned to Jesus Christ and say Jesus is Messiah. This all, of course, is brought out in, uh, in these other verses. Zechariah 12, where we just were, speaks about that as well. I won't go into any more detail on it, only to say here that there are many scriptures that you can read about. Now, I'm going to move on very quickly here because there's another element that happens. Look, I'm going back to, to uh, Revelations chapter 19. We're here, Revelations 19. And uh, look at part B, the gathering of the vultures. Everybody see that? Verse 17. This is Armageddon happening. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to the fowls that fly in the midst of the heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great Lord, of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. In other words, there's going to be a bait devouring, and he's going to call the birds. And then he says, verse 19, and I will, and, and I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and the armies gathered together to make war against uh, him that set upon the horse and against his armies. So the beasts, the birds, all gather together because there's going to be a big feast. The Lord is just going to do the work and it's just going to happen. Praise the Lord. Uh, go to Ezekiel 30, uh, 38 for a moment. I think it's 38. Let me... 39.17. Look at that. 39.17. Ezekiel 39.17. This is a description of it. And thou son of man, thus saith the Lord, speak unto every fowl, ever feathered fowl, and to get every beast of the field. Assemble yourselves and come. Gather yourselves on every side to my sacrifice that I do sacrifice for you, even a great sacrifice upon the mountains of Israel that you may eat. The word incidentally, Armageddon, means the Mount of Megiddo. Megiddo is a town or city in Israel. And it means the mountains of again. So this goes about the mountains of Israel, the same thing. That you may eat flesh and drink blood. And it goes on to describe it. For these, these are wild animals and they, blood is a big part of their diet. Sad to say, but it is. 18, you shall eat the flesh of the mighty drink the blood of princes of the earth of the rams of the lambs goats bullocks of them the fatlings of the basher and you shall eat fat till you be full drink blood till you be drunken of my sacrifice which I sacrifice for you thus you shall be filled at my table with horses and chariots and mighty men you see and mighty men of war you see what i'm saying here and uh, and god will come and he will destroy these armies that will come against uh, him and the bible will be in the first part of chapter 38, it tells about who many of these countries are. It talks about them. Gog and Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Verse 5, this is 38.5. Persia, Ethiopia, Libya, and all them that shield Gomer and all his band, Togarma, and so forth, the north quarters. All of these people will be gathered against Israel to come against, and God, of course, will destroy them. And one other verse I want to read to you here again in Zechariah just to show you how they will actually be killed. 
This is Zechariah 14, and this is verse 12. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord shall smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. In other words, the 14th chapter describes Armageddon here, describes in detail, the splitting open of the mountain and everything. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord shall smite all the people. This is verse 12. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet. Their eyes shall consume away in their holes and in their tongues shall be consumed away in their mouth. And it shall come to pass in that day that a great tumult among the Lord shall be among them. They shall kill one another and so forth. So what I'm pointing out to you here is that when the Lord appears with his army in the sky, we have a picture of him on a white horse, which symbolizes he comes as a champion, as a leader, as a conqueror. And then he comes with all of his people, the 10,000 saints, which is mentioned uh, to a couple other places in the Bible besides just Jude. And he comes with his people. And it's the glory of the Lord when those armies come against Israel and they look up and they see God's glory. That's all it is. It's all over with. You understand what I'm saying? There is no no sword fighting. There's no bang, 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 bang. There's none of that. He just appears and all they look up and their eyes are consumed. Their tongues are consumed. They're dead. They're killed. And that's the feast for the birds. That's the feast for the birds. That's Armageddon. And then, uh, and it goes on to describe all of these beasts and how that it'll both. And then finally, I'm going to read the last part of it here. Look at Revelation 19.20. And the beast was taken. That's the Antichrist. And with him, the false prophet that wrought miracles before him in which he deceived them that had to receive the mark of the beast and them that shipped. Speaking of the mark of the beast, you know what the number 666 in the Bible says, his number shall be 666. How many of you know that? Antichrist number. It's in, it's in Revelations 13. The last verse, I think it's the 18th verse in chapter 13 of Revelation 666. I saw a license plate on a car yesterday that said, Six 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 six. Six sixes across the license plate. Now, who in the world is going to get a license plate that has six sixes? And when I saw it, I thought, "Is this? Is this somebody? I don't know. I could be totally wrong. And if I am, I ask the Lord and everybody else to forgive me for saying it. But it could it be somebody who is just in your face? You know, with I am for the Antichrist. That kind of stuff. I don't know." But let me just say this. I'm wrapping this up now. This 20th verse, I'm going to read it again. The beast was taken with him, the false prophet, wrought miracles before him. I'm in 1920. Before him with him, he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both, false prophet and the Antichrist, were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. That's what happens to them at the end of Armageddon. Verse 21, and the remnant, that is all the armies of the world, were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse. Slain with the sword in the sense that it just happened, the sword in his mouth. It wasn't a little thing. Which sword proceeded out of his mouth. And all the fowls were filled with their flesh. So this is Armageddon, folks. And when it does, God will usher in. The millennial period, the thousand years of peace, and there will be a thousand years on this earth. But we, the church, will always be with him in the holy city above. Praise the Lord. We'll have a glorified body like as unto his glorified body. 
and we'll get into that next week. We've got some very interesting things to give you. Let's see, next week, I, next week I may talk to you about Christmas. i got some Christmas things I want to talk to you about. Everybody say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Say, Bishop, you went over two minutes. Let's stand and give God the praise. Let's praise him. Let's thank him. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We magnify your name. Thank you for your people. Thank you for the people of God that love you, Lord, with all their heart. Help us all to be ready when you come back for your church. Not with your church, but for your church. Help us, God, be ready to go when you come and sound the trumpet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.